Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, it's the second week of Faith Promise, and um, you know, they said last time. I'm just I'm so thankful for a church that commits two weeks to Faith Promise, and I get the special privilege of of hearing Dr. Gailey Chuck uh, twice today. Um, You're going to be challenged. Um, Dr. Gailey has had a huge impact on the Church of the Nazarene and and people around the world through through missions. He was actually a missionary for 13 years in Swaziland. Uh, he also has uh, taught at Nazarene Theological Seminary, uh, actually founded the School of World Mission and Evangelism, uh, and has taught hundreds of missionaries, literally, um, that have gone on to serve around the world. So, um, I can say, i got to hear him twice. I'm, I'm fortunate. You're going to be challenged. Um, what is God's vision for you? And so, Dr. Gailey, come, come, uh, come up. And I want you all to know that you can just call me Chuck. I like my name, although sometimes people abuse it. You know, they have a bunch of rubbish around the house. They say, well, let's chuck this out. (laughs) Great big hole in the road. They call it a chuck hole. Cheapest cut of meat in the store, chuck roast. Why don't they call it berry roast? And then you chuckle about it. I have a friend uh, on the other coast that says it's okay as long as you don't up Chuck. Every time that guy sees me, he says, what's up, Chuck? I was speaking at the uh, Crossroads Church out near Phoenix, Arizona. A little eight-year-old girl seated right down here. And while I was speaking, she was writing me a note. She came up onto the platform after the service and she said in a very angelic voice, I wrote you a note. I said, oh, thank you, Amy. And I opened it up and I kid you not, here is the note verbatim, okay? Dear Chuck, how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck woodchuck would? Love, Amy. Well, I love being in this church today, and I think this is a first in my short life. This is the first time in my entire life that I have had a grandson playing in the praise band. And didn't they do a great job? And I have other grandchildren here that I'll not ask to stand. But my daughter, Sharon, I know you all know the Gailies, Rob and Wanda. They're part of your church. But I had the blessing today of having my third daughter, Sharon, who, uh, with her husband, Chaplain Lee, who is stationed at Pendleton, uh, are here visiting this morning with Kelsey and J.D., I am very privileged to announce to you that Sharon was born in Swaziland, Africa. And she's very, very proud of that. Uh, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 26. 
In a few moments, I'll ask you to stand. Uh, Acts 26, a very familiar passage of Scripture, when Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. We're going to be reading from Acts 26, and we're going to begin to read at verse 17. Let's stand together. Before I read, let me say this. I suppose that every person in this room, every teenager, every child, every adult, could probably tell me something about this story. You know that this is when Paul, who persecuted Christians, We know there's a lot of persecution going on today in our world. Paul was the chief persecutor. But on the Damascus Road, something dramatic happened. He met Jesus. And probably every teen here could tell me something about the great light, and this is when he became a Christian. But I wonder how many of you could tell me what Jesus said to Paul that day. Because that's what we're going to read. And you know, folks, we're going to read a job description. This is a job description for a brand new Christian. And here it is. Jesus said to Paul, I'm going to break into the middle of verse 17. I am sending you. I am sending you to them. Now, here's a brand new Christian, and he's already saying you need to focus on others. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they too may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then in verse 19, Paul's response comes echoing back across the ages. So then, King Agrippa, I, I, was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Our theme this morning in Mission Church, a new vision for mission. Let us pray. Now, Father, these are words from your book. They are words that you yourself uttered. We pray now that through lips of clay, you would help these words to come alive. And in us today, to be birthed a new vision of what you can do with our lives. 
in mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to talk to you briefly today about three different kinds of mission. The first is the collective mission of the Christian church. Because you see, it was first of all the church that sent missionaries to Africa to ignite a flame of love. And I am here in Mission Church this morning to tell you that that flame has not only ignited, but it is spreading like a gigantic prairie fire across that great continent. So much so that Time magazine has reported nearly 20,000 people a day becoming Christian on the continent of Africa. Twelve months ago today, I was standing in a church in Sitegi, Swaziland, Africa. And I'm here to tell you that the churches of Africa are packed these days. The Church of the Nazarene in Africa, as of this year, has 611,000 members. Folks, that's almost as many Nazarenes as there are in America. And Lamine Sana at Yale University says that very soon Africa will become the most Christian continent on the face of planet Earth. Isn't that something to be thankful for today? But it's not just Africa. Did you know that in Korea, where in the 19th century missionaries were prohibited, pastors were being killed, but today some of the largest churches in our world are located in South Korea, and South Korea has now become the second largest missionary sending nation in the whole world. Last year, more than 22,000 missionaries were sent out from South Korea, the churches of South Korea, to other parts of our world. But it's happening not just in Africa and in Asia. It's happening in South America, where the media report 400 people an hour becoming Christian on the continent of South America. Folks, that's 9,600 people a day. If you were to go and visit our church in Cali, Colombia, and you know what Cali was known for, what was Cali, Colombia known for? Drug cartel. But did you know there's a church of the Nazarene in Cali, it doesn't have three wonderful services like you have here at Mission. They have six services in their church every weekend, and the number of people total, 15,000 people that worship in that church every weekend. South America last year recorded almost 15,000 brand new Nazarenes in the continent. It's happening in South America. It's happening in Muslim 
areas of the world, such as Bangladesh. Bangladesh, in the last 15 years, we've added 100,000 members. Did you get that, 100,000? That's a lot, folks. In the year 2000, in Bangladesh, we had 35 churches of the Nazarene. Uh, We don't have 35 now. Folks, we have 2,823 churches, including last year, 373 brand new churches in a predominantly Muslim country. Is that something to thank the Lord for today? And then there's the wonderful story of China. We wondered, you know, back in the 1980s, have any Christians survived the persecution of Mao and the Gang of Four? And then that pastor from Zhejiang province came forward. He said, I know we've got five million Christians in our province alone. And the economist just a few months ago published a major article indicating that right now there may be a hundred million Christians in the People's Republic of China as we speak. You know, I like the saying, the church is still alive. Of course the church is still alive because Jesus Christ himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church has been obedient to the vision that Jesus has given to all Christians through the ages. I am sending you. I am sending you to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they too might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I ask you this morning, the church has been obedient to this vision. I've given you these stats. But I ask you this morning, what makes up the church? Did you know that this church, Mission Church of the Nazarene, is not this building? Church is not a building. We have some beautiful cathedrals in Europe. They are gorgeous architecturally. But folks, if there are no people worshiping there, there's no church. And folks, the church never has a vision unless individuals catch a vision. I think this morning of Africa. I have given you these glowing reports of what is happening in Africa today as the continent moves toward Christ. But I'm also thinking this morning of one individual named Harman Smelsenbaugh, a college student in Texas that God impressed 
I want you to go to Africa to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. He was obedient. He went to Africa. They warned him, do not go down into the fever-ridden lowlands. You will die. He said, but people need to be turned from darkness to light. He went. He planted churches all over the lowlands. He contacted the fever. He died at a young age. My second daughter, just a few months ago, stood again at his grave in Swaziland. Died in his 40s. And his infant children buried there beside him. Harman Smalsenbaugh labored for three years without one convert. It was hard. But God had given him a vision. And he was obedient to that vision. And God has brought the increase. Today, 611,000 Nazarenes living all over the continent of Africa. Some of us in this room are old enough when we think of South America. The churches that are packed in South America, that's wonderful. But I think of those five missionaries that died on the banks of the Curare River in Ecuador. God gave them a vision. It was a vision of turning people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. They were faithful. And I told you about that church in Cali, Colombia, heart of the drug cartel. So many Nazarenes. But what I didn't tell you was the individual vision that calls a thousand people to pray every Thursday morning at 4 a.m., those people come to pray, folks, at 4 a.m. in the morning, and they pray for two hours. A thousand people. Now, get this. On Wednesday morning, 2,000 people come to pray. Folks, they are paying the price. God has given them a vision of turning people from darkness to light. And God will always be faithful to his people when they follow his vision for a broken and fractured world that we live in. The same thing is true for the Muslim areas of our world. I think of Hajib, my student, born into a radical Muslim family. When his uncle caught him reading a Bible, the uncle became very angry, and he said, why are you reading that book? He said, you're not thinking of becoming a Christian, are you? Because you know 
that I would be the one appointed by the family to kill you. Imagine that, your own uncle. I would be the one appointed to kill you if you become a Christian. But Hajib did become a Christian. He was turned from darkness to light. His life became new. The power of Satan no longer held him in bondage. He was free. He enjoyed the freedom that we sang about in this worship service this morning. He joined a little secret worship, a, a little secret church made up of 14 young men. About the age of some of the young men here on the platform this morning. Unfortunately, an informer in that radical Muslim environment infiltrated that church, published the names of the 14 young men. Twelve were hunted down and murdered in cold blood. Hajib escaped across the border into another country, eventually met up with a Nazarene missionary and eventually ended up in my class in the School of World Mission in Kansas City. And when he came close to graduation after two years of training, I said to him, Hajib, what are you going to do now when you graduate? By this time, he had married a lovely American girl and could have stayed in America, could have lived in even San Diego. But God had given Hajib a vision. Oh, he said, I'm going back to my people. They need to be turned from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. They've been back there now for seven years. And I tell you, miracles have happened in their ministry. Their pastors have been persecuted. They have been stoned. They have been poisoned. They have been shot. They've been killed. But Hajib has stayed true. And whole villages of Muslims have come to know the Lord. To be turned from darkness to light. Is that something to praise the Lord for this morning? In one village, the whole village came. An old man came to Hajib. He said, my whole village has accepted Christ except me. He said, so I choose to also become a Christian. And then he said these words. Would you accept our mosque as a Nazarene church? And the latest stats I have, folks are that five mosques have now become churches of the Nazarene. We're talking this morning about changing our world. God is using people of individual vision to turn people from darkness to light. 
You can see where I'm going this morning because thirdly and finally, I want to talk to you this morning about your vision. What's your vision for a lost and broken and fractured world? You see it splashed across your television screens, your computer screens, every day of the week. And the last couple of, of, of weeks, it's been like a tsunami, hasn't it? With the mass killings in Paris, the attack just a few days ago on the Radisson Hotel in Mali. The blood that is running in the streets. And if you ever ask yourself the question, is there something I could do? What could God do through me? This is not just a vision for Paul, folks. Jesus made it universal in what we call the Great Commission. And I am here this morning to tell you, it is not the great suggestion. This is the great commission. It is the marching orders for the Christian church, folks. This is what the church is to be about. Turning people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God himself and God's love. What's your vision? If everybody in this church had a vision just like yours, what would this church, what could it do? When you think of what you've seen in these past days, the refugees, the refugees, the heartbreak, doesn't your heart break? When you see the body of little Ilan washed up on a Turkish beach, a little boy, have you asked yourself the question, what could I do? Just yesterday, I learned that our Nazarene missionaries, bless their hearts, they are, some of them are working their hearts out. Tiana Sundberg in Hungary ministering to those refugees. We are educating 600 children in Lebanon and Jordan. Children, little children that have been affected by the war in Syria. The bloodshed that is all around. What's your vision when you consider that 350 million people in our world have never met a follower of Jesus Christ? What's your vision? When you consider that a child dies every 15 seconds from dirty drinking water. Praise the Lord. You do have an opportunity to change your world today. It's located in your bulletin. 
I call this the voting card. This is when we vote at Mission Church to change our world, to be a force for good, to ask the question, what could I give up in my life? What could I really do without? When I consider the world and the heartbreak, the brokenness, the fractures of our world, what could I give up to bring about good, to be a vehicle of good for healing in our world? A faith promise is not a no-so promise, you know. A no-so promise is when you look at what you did last year and you think, well, I could do maybe 10% more. That, that's, that's a no-so promise. A faith promise is when you pray. And that's what you need to do is pray. Nobody on earth can tell you what to do except God. And you pray. I think every child, every teenager, every adult should make their own promise to do something. Every teen could give up some Coca-Colas. They're not good for you anyhow. Uh, and uh, everybody, all of us can do something. To make a difference in our world. We can vote to change our world. Maybe there's somebody here this morning. You're saying, as we close, you're saying, well, I don't know. I really don't have anything to give. I don't have much to give. I guess maybe at one time I might have thought that until I went to Swaziland. I met a 12-year-old girl who forever changed my value system. This 12-year-old girl, her name was Sakipazana. She was poor. She was poorer than anyone here probably has ever been. She was so poor that her parents could not afford to keep her alive, to give her food. And I'm not talking about good food, teens. I'm not talking about meat and vegetables and so on. I'm talking about the cheapest foods known to humankind, beans, rice. And they couldn't afford to keep all their children alive. And so this couple had to come to the hardest decision any parents would have to come to anywhere in the world. They decided that they would have to give away some of their children into other homes, at least temporarily, where they could get food in exchange for work and errands that they would do. And our Nazarene pastor and his wife, out of the generosity and love of their heart, they already had children. They, they said, we will take a child. And that's how this gal, Sikipazana, came to live in our Nazarene pastor's family. And you know what? There she learned about the love of Jesus. 
she learned that her life could be turned from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that she too might receive forgiveness of sins. And you know what? I can still see her standing there in her ragged dress, no shoes, couldn't afford shoes. The pocket on her dress was half torn away, ragged dress. But she learned about the love of Jesus. One day, Skipazana was in town, and she met up with her real daddy. Can you imagine what how that father, as he, as he looked at this girl, he'd had to see, he couldn't, couldn't afford to keep her in, in his house. And the, he reached down into his pocket out of a burst of, of fatherly love and he, he pulled out a coin. It was a coin worth only about 10 cents in American money. But he pressed that, that coin into Skipazana's hand. Oh, she was absolutely thrilled and excited. She went racing home. She was so delighted. She had money, real money. That next Sunday was missions offering in the local church. And I heard later that when the mission offering came by Skipazana, she reached down into that half-torn-away pocket. She took out the entire coin, all of it, put it in the offering that others might be turned from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And folks, when I heard that, I said to myself, Chuck, you have given nothing. You have given absolutely nothing to come halfway around the world and share the gospel with these folks because you see I remembered that 2,000 years ago Jesus himself sat right here in a meeting not unlike this and Jesus you know he has the right value system Jesus knows about what the Gilberts are doing Jesus knows all about your life. And so when a poor widow lady came through the door and she came down toward the front and the offering that she put on the table where in a few moments we're going to place our faith promise cards with just a couple of cents, really a half cent, But Jesus himself said, she has given more than all of them because she has given all that she has. 
What is God saying to you this morning about what you can do to change the world? We know the world's in a terrible place. There are people out there that we are sending to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. I hope that someday every one of us in this room, every one of us, all of my family, all of this church family will be able to stand and say with St. Paul himself, so then, I, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Father, may it be so. This is your hour. Whatever you want with us. It's all yours. You take us. You melt us. Mold us. Do with us what you want. Tell us what you want us to do today. In Jesus' name, amen.